asked the kids some questions earlier on this morning. Uh, I now have a question for you, rhetorical question, so you don't need to, to shout out the answer. The question is this, do, do you have confidence, do you have confidence that Jesus is building his church? Do you have confidence that Jesus is building his church? Remember those words that Jesus speaks to the, to the disciple Peter after Peter has confessed Jesus to be the Messiah, Matthew 16. Uh, Jesus says to him on this rock, yeah, on his declaration, I will, he says, I will build my church and the gate of hell shall not prevail against it. Great promise. So is it true? Is Jesus building his church or are the gates of hell prevailing? I ask this question because sometimes it can be easy for us to doubt that Jesus is building the church, that the church is growing. Perhaps um, in our own country, we look around and we see the church is shrinking. Fewer and fewer people are coming to our churches. Sometimes it's easy to, to doubt because maybe we never or rarely see people come to Christ, people saved. People in our nation, at least, are growing less and less fond of the church, aren't they? Less and less fond of gospel matters, of, of Christianity. There's opposition that's becoming more vocal, that's becoming um, less tolerant of the church and of the Bible and its teachings. And we know, don't we, of recent pressure of the government to change laws that are contrary to things the Bible teaches. Maybe we can doubt the church is growing when we clearly present the gospel. We talk about Jesus with our friends and family and, and we think there's no reason for them not to believe and yet they, they don't want to know. Or even in the face of a pandemic, as far as our own experiences in North Wales, people aren't flocking to God, are they? They're not coming to the church for answers in such a difficult time. Is Jesus building his church? But what about the church itself or those who profess to be Christians? So sadly, in, in many areas for some churches, people are drifting away from the truth, believing all sorts of weird and wonderful things that are contrary to the word of God. Preaching works of salvation, preaching that all religions are equal, are the same. That's something that's growing. In our nation. So are we confident, can we be confident that Jesus is building his church, that he will continue to do that? Or will there be much of a church left when he does return? Now I don't know how much you have read of the book of Joshua that we were in this morning, um, but in chapter one, if you flick back to the, the beginning of the, the book, Joshua is now the, the new leader of God's people Israel. Yes, Moses has died, and now Joshua has taken over and they've arrived at the border of Canaan. Yeah, the promised land is right before them. And down in, in verse two of that first chapter, um, the, the Lord says to Joshua, go over the Jordan, you and all this people into the land that I'm giving you, that I'm giving to them, you and the people of Israel. Verse five, it says, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Be strong and courageous. Verse 9, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So Joshua stands before all the people 
and says, in three days, we're going to be crossing over the Jordan. And the people listen to Joshua and they believe him. They trust him. They know that God has called Joshua to take over from Moses. They've heard God's word. They know his promises. And now they're ready to move forward, to take the land. But let's ask the question to the Israelites too. Are they confident? Are they confident that it's actually going to to work out? We know, don't we, that the Israelites have a a reputation of being doubters, (laughs) of being grumblers towards God not always trusting in the things that he says. Well, as we get to chapter two, um, Joshua, though he has said, we're gonna cross over the Jordan in three days. In verse one, as we heard read, Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim, this is the, the place where they're camped, from there as spies saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. Okay, so if they're confident that they're going to take the land that God is promising to them, they're about to cross over to get it, why is Joshua sending spies to view the land? Doesn't he remember what happened last time the spies went into the land? Remember 40 years earlier on, spies went in, but they came back and gave gave a bad report. And so they wandered around the wilderness for 40 years. Well, now they're back in the same place. And although Joshua, of course, with Caleb, was one of those spies who said we should go in the land, now he himself is sending spies. Why is he doing that? Well, probably he's sending them out on a reconnaissance mission, kind of James Bond-style secret agents going out to suss out the enemy. And that is kind of common military tactics. You would send people in to find out where the weaknesses are in the city, their, their, their approach to attacking, come back, give a good report to build up confidence. And hopefully that's what, that's what Joshua wants when these spies go. And so verse two, they, they go, don't they? And they come to the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and they lodged there. But look at verse two, he was told to the king of Jericho, behold, Men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out the land. Oh dear, (laughs) it appears that this secret mission has, has failed before it's even got going. Maybe you could say it's more Johnny English style than James Bond. Okay, they've been found out. They've been recognized as foreigners. They've gone into this house of Rahab and now they're going to be captured. It's interesting, isn't it, how these men have been found out so quickly, not just as foreigners, but as men of Israel. Did you see that in verse two? It's either that these men are really terrible spies or that this city was on high alert already. They know that Shittim is just the other side of the River Jordan, which is about 20 miles down the road, where the place where Israel are camped, and they know they're there. They also know who this people are. Yes, we read, didn't we, in this chapter that the people of Jericho know about the God of Israel. They know about what happened in Egypt. They know about the Red Sea. 
They know moving closer to home what happened to the kings across the other side of the Jordan. They know that this nation is moving closer and closer to Canaan. And so it's no wonder the king is reacting. So what's going to happen? What's going to happen to these men? Look at verse four. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. <laughs> okay, that's another unexpected thing. That isn't it? Not, you wouldn't think that that's what she would do. And then she says to the men who come to the house to, to, to ask them, she says, we well, yeah, are true, the men, men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out, she says. I do not know where they went. Pursue them quickly and you will overtake them, she says. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them in the, flax, in the stalks of flax that were laid out on the roof. So the men pursued after them to the way of the Jordan as far as the fords and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers left. And you can imagine, can't you, the men hiding up in the roof, breathe a sigh of relief and wonder what on earth is, is going on? Why has Rahab done this? Protecting these men, but sending the soldiers on a, on a wild goose chase. Why has she done it? Because if you think about it, who is this woman, Rahab? Jericho is her home, okay? This is the city that's, that's about to be attacked. Her family live here, her siblings, her parents. She works in Jericho. But actually her work is, is completely integrated into the religion and the culture of the town. Yes, she's a prostitute. It was ritualistic. It's part of their worship, part of their lifestyle. She was integral perhaps to, to this city. There's no signs that the spies took part in any, any wrong behavior. It could be they just dropped into this house. Maybe it was the, the local travel lodge or the tourist information place. And that's why the men went there. But but this woman, Rahab, she is a true Canaanite. She's living in immorality. She's living in idolatry against the true God. She symbolizes all the wickedness of the people of the land that God is giving into the hands of Israel. So shouldn't she have handed over the men? <laughs> yeah. Shouldn't she have not risked her own life to protect them? Let's look at the text again back down in verse 8, and uh, maybe we'll get some insight into this woman. So before the men lay down to, to sleep, probably, she came up to them on the roof. And then next we read what really could only be described as a confession of faith in the Lord, the God of Israel. She says, I know that the Lord has given you the land. And that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Wow. As I mentioned earlier on, the people of the land have heard that Israel are coming, yes. But people's response to that, even though they've known all about Egypt and the Red Sea and the kings, is not indifference or even self-confidence in their own military might, but it's fear. They are afraid of Israel, of their might, of their power, of their gods, and their, their hearts sink. Maybe you know that, that heart-sinking feeling. Think of 
when Wales concedes a try against England in the last minutes of the game and you, oh, you lose heart because you know the game's lost. Well, here are the inhabitants of Israel. Their hearts have sunk because they know, really, there's nothing we can do against this people and their gods. As soon as we heard it, Rahab says, our heart melted. And verse 11 says, there's no spirit left in us. Rahab has told us about the feelings of all the people in the city, hasn't she? But yet, why did the king and his soldiers react the way they did? They didn't come out waving their white flag in submission. They didn't surrender, but they're being defiant. They're being aggressive. They're in one sense, you could say that they're just denying the reality of what is coming. Even when the God of Israel has proved himself more powerful than all the peoples and the gods of the nations, even the mighty Egypt, they don't bow down before him. <clears throat> and of course, this is a reality, not just for the Canaanites, but throughout the history of the Bible, even throughout our own church history, people, when they're faced with the existence of evidence for God, seeing proof of who he is and what he has done, they remain in denial, in opposition, in rebellion. <clears throat> the Bible tells us, doesn't it, in, in Romans, Paul says that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Yeah, they, they know God is, is there because creation shows it. But they choose to worship the created things and so as Paul says they're they're without excuse as we read God's word we see plenty of examples of God revealing himself throughout history and of course he's revealed himself through his son ultimately hasn't he Jesus Christ the son of God become flesh showing us who God is <clears throat> and yet even when Jesus was on earth the Messiah who had arrived, come to his own people. Of course, we read that even his own people did not believe in him. The truth is, isn't it, that when we clearly proclaim the gospel, when we engage in conversation, when we speak about the, the things of Jesus, when people see Jesus in how we live our lives, there are some who are drawn to him on there and believe, but there are others who will continue to disbelief and rebel and harden their hearts. I wonder how that, how, did, how do you react to that personally? Think about those that you know, that you love, that you are trying to share the gospel with and yet they don't want to know, they are opposing to you. Maybe your heart melts, particularly when they are close. But we need to remember that it's not the fault of the gospel. It's not as if the message isn't true enough. It's not as if it's not magnificent or powerful enough. It's not that we need to change it, is it? That we need to make it less offensive or, or more attractive so people will believe it. No. Because the reality is no matter how, how great and powerful God demonstrated himself in, in history, people still believed. But on the other hand, we know that the gospel 
is powerful. Paul in Romans 1 again says that I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We can be confident that Jesus is building his church today because God's grace through the gospel as it's preached, as it's demonstrated in our lives, as the Holy Spirit works in people's hearts and consciences to reveal this truth, that these are the ways that God has given to lead people to himself. And of course he has, doesn't, hasn't he? Many, many times through many, many ways, even the hardest of hearts, maybe we've heard testimony of or witnessed ourselves have been humbled before the Lord. Let's not lose confidence in the power of the gospel. Let's not lose confidence in the truth of his word. Don't be tempted to think that, that the church is old fashioned, that Christianity has run its course. Now we need to move on. Let's not be taken in by the rhetoric that says, you know, it, it's, you're dangerous Christians and you're immoral. Or we have no need of God anymore because we've disproved him with evolution. But we can be confident that Jesus is building his church. His spirit is at work. The Lord is drawing people to himself. And of course, one day, as we thought earlier on, one day the, the kingdom of God will be a reality on earth forever and ever to be enjoyed. And so that promise that God gave to the Israelites that the Lord is giving you this land is true. And they can hold on to it and we can hold on to it. But how else? How else can we be confident in this? Well, let's listen to Rahab herself. We've thought about those who are rejecting and living in, in, in rebellion. But of course, there's a great encouragement in this chapter too. And it's found in this woman, Rahab. Take a look down again at verse 11. <clears throat> uh, she says, as soon as our, we heard it, that's about you coming, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in us because of the Lord your God. Then she says, he is God in heaven, in the heavens above and the earth beneath. Here is Rahab, okay, the prostitute of the city Jericho, worshipping the gods of Canaan, now confessing that the Lord, the God of Israel, he is the God of heavens above and the earth below. Even if maybe she still holds on to the Canaanite gods, she's now believing that your God is the God above all gods. That's, a, that's an amazing statement, isn't it? She'd, she's witnessed all of who God is, all that he's done. There's no one like him. No one can stand against him. And she's confessed in him. And so now we, we get to understand why she's risking her own life to protect these men. She not only believes in this God, but she also she has confidence. Even before it happens, she has confidence that the Lord will give the land to the Israelites. And what encouragement that must have been for the spies, yeah, to hear from the mouth of your enemy that your God is the God and will give you success. What a boost of confidence that will be for the Israelites. 
but of course she, she hasn't finished. She carries on now to, to make a plea because although she knows that Yahweh, the Lord, is going to give the land to them, she knows that she's part of this city, that she's part of the people that need to be destroyed. And she wants to be rescued. Verse 12. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that, I have, that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save a life, my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver out our lives from death. She wants to be rescued from his coming destruction. Well, how are these Israelite spies going to respond? Yeah, remember who she is? Well, verse 14, the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. What are, what are they doing? She's a Canaanite, a prostitute. She's the enemy. They can't promise to do that, can they? <laughs> the kingdom of God, God's people are supposed to be holy for him. Yet who is a sinner? I wonder when it comes to our own evangelism, can we sometimes be guilty of having similar attitudes towards the people that we meet, that we preach to, that we are seeking to win? We share the gospel and someone takes an interest, but maybe there's someone who's, who's a little bit different, someone who's living a life that's not right according to the Bible, and so we flinch a little bit. Maybe someone who's of a, a different class or a different culture, a different morality, a different religion, and we, we wonder, well, hold on a minute, does something need to change in them before they can join us? We feel like they need to become like us before they become one of us. And of course, that's not true, is it? The Lord Jesus does not expect us to change ourselves, to become more righteous in our life before we can be worthy of him. That's not how the gospel works. It's, it's upside down, the wrong way around. Jesus welcomes sinners. Think about the Lord Jesus himself when he was on earth. Yeah, the religious leaders, those who were those, those who were supposed to be holy and righteous, they were condemning the sinners of the, the nation, the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the outcasts. And yet, who is it that Jesus spent his time with? Who are those that he loved? It was those very people, wasn't it? Jesus came to reach, to save people like that. And of course, it's a problem in the early church, even those Christians who were, um, as you go through the book of Acts, and they're now seeing that the gospel's going beyond Israel to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, people like Rahab, people like you and me, yes. And yet they realize that the gospel has been made available to the Gentiles, to all people. And the wonderful truth is, as we read in scripture, is that the final kingdom of God will be 
will be full of people who are perfect and spotless and all sinners will be cast out but those who are in the kingdom are not spotless and clean because they have made themselves spotless and clean and have, or have never been immoral they of course are there because Christ has changed them Christ has washed them clean the kingdom will be full of prostitutes and sinners and tax collectors people who've done evil but people who've repented who've realized their sin who realized their condemnation that they deserve from God and yet like Rahab have run to him have pleaded his mercy believing in the Lord Jesus who can take away their sin why and how well of course through his cross through his death as Jesus pays the price for sin as he becomes sin as he bears God's wrath as he takes the judgment the price is paid and so all who trust in him through his resurrected life are forgiven and so as Christians we need to remember don't we that, that we're no better than anyone else we're no more deserving of the kingdom than people who are different than us and so as we offer the gospel out, it truly is an invitation for all people. Well, back to our passage, the men have accepted um, Rahab. They make a deal with her. As long as she doesn't tell on them, they um, will, will keep her alive and they give her instructions, don't they? But notice, notice verse 18. Notice what um, these men require, okay, of Rahab to keep her and her family safe. Verse 18. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers and all of your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the streets, his blood shall be on his own head. But if you tell this business, hold on a sec, Mr. Sentence, <laughs> we shall be guiltless. But if, if a hand is laid on anyone who is in your house, his blood shall be on our heads. Okay, so there's the instructions. I wonder, does that remind you of anything? I'm not talking about the red court. I'm talking about what it reminds us of the past. Yes, this will point us forward to Jesus, but does it not remind you of what happened at Passover? Remember the angel of death that came over Egypt to kill the firstborn sons and the Israelites were to take the blood of the lamb. Remember, they were to paint it on the doorposts of the house and they were to stay in the house and not leave. Only those who were in the house lived under the protection of the blood of the lamb. They were spared when the angel came. It was all about being in the house, being under the blood, yes? And so as long as Rahab and her family were in the house with the silver, with the, the, the red cords, they would be protected. That's just a wonderful picture of the gospel. And of course, Joshua, as you read on in chapter six of this book, Joshua rescues Rahab and her household because they're safe in this house. She trusted the promise that the men had given to her, followed their instructions and was rescued. And of course, Jesus rescues all those who come to him in faith, who trust in him too, in what he calls them to do, he invites them 
to himself, and they are rescued. It's wonderful as the Rahab as Rahab lets down the spies through her window, um, in, in, out of the wall that was in the city, in the city walls, and they escape. And I think we can be confident that as well as Rahab being rescued from Jericho that day, that she was rescued from hell too, through her trust in the, this God of Israel, in his promises. Rahab becomes a part of the nation. We know that she marries. We know that her name appears in the genealogy of Jesus. And you know what? God has been rescuing people like Rahab, saving them eternally for centuries. He's even rescuing people, even people called Rahab today. I heard a story uh, a while ago of a, a man who was planting churches in India, and he met a man called Rahab, a woman called Rahab. And uh, she, like the Rahab of the Bible, was a, a sex worker. But she'd heard the story of Rahab of the Bible, and the man told about Rahab's kindness and her faith in God and how she was delivered. And he talked, went on to talk about the Lord Jesus and who he was and what he had done. And how she was part of the genealogy of Jesus. And this Indian lady wanted to know more about Jesus, wanted to discover how she too could be saved by her savior. She became a Christian. Her life is transformed. She's a strong Christian. She's an evangelist. And with her own husband now is planting churches in her own community. And of course, she's just one example, isn't she, of many people who all around the world, all down through history, have heard the wonderful, true, powerful gospel of Jesus Christ, have been convicted of their sin, their need of him, have trusted in Christ. And so as we sum up, friends, can we be confident that Jesus is building his church? Will his kingdom outlast those who oppose it? Men of Israel left, and uh, the spies left Rahab's house and they went back to Joshua. They reported all that had happened. They say to him in verse 24, truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. They got great confidence by this wonderful testimony of Rahab. And so we too can be bold. We too can be unashamed of the gospel. We can trust in what God has done in Christ, knowing that it is the only way to be saved. Yes, we know that some will reject it. We pray for them. We pray the Lord would keep working. It looks like we've lost Andy at a critical point. We'll give him a few seconds to see whether uh, he turns back up again, as I did earlier and my, my internet went down. To say that his uh, internet did uh, die altogether, which is uh, why he disappeared. Um, but I've got him on my phone, and I'm going to hold my phone next to the uh, microphone, and he's just going to very quickly uh, finish off what he's saying. So uh, if you can hear Andy in just a second, do give me the thumbs up. Go ahead, Andy. Yeah, you ready? Okay. Hello, folks. <laughs> I apologize for that. I'm not quite sure what happened. Um, yeah, I, just, I was coming to the end, so um, no worries about that. I was just saying about how, um, yeah, we can show our confidence that Jesus is building his church through how we live, can't we? That we can be bold in our words and our actions in proclaiming Jesus. 
And really the final thing to, to add to that really is, is for anybody who's listening this morning who perhaps is is like someone like Rahab, not necessarily in her work, but in, in the fact that she has um, heard the things of God and she's heard about the Lord Jesus and knows who he is. And, and you have heard maybe a number of times that um, he has died on the cross for your sins and risen again to, to give you new life. And yet, perhaps to this point, you've not done anything about it. The Rahab, she believed, but yet she came to plead mercy, didn't she? And sought forgiveness. And Jesus invites us to do that. He doesn't want us to put it off. He doesn't want us to be like the soldiers and rebel. But he wants us to submit before him and to, to trust in what Christ has done for us. And so you can do that. You can do that this morning. Um, he invites you to that. And so... The last sentence really is is to remind us that we can be confident. Jesus is building his site, his, his his church, and uh, the last the last day when he comes back, uh, we can rejoice because it will be a, a wonderful sight of people from all over the world, all through down history, who will be gathered together in the name of Jesus.